1: Hello and welcome to Diffusion, sit back and relax while we feed weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Jayashree Alcott talks about functional and superfoods. But first up, here's news of polluted rain. Waterproof, non-stick, rain. Rain Rainwater all over the world is now contaminated with per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, according to new research from Stockholm University. The chemicals get into the air, dust, food, blood, soil, and water. A growing body of evidence is showing that per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances disrupt our hormones, causing immune dysfunction, decreased fertility, liver damage, thyroid disease, high cholesterol, obesity, gestational diabetes, and cancer. Researchers are investigating how much per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances are affecting children's development, which relies on hormonal signals at every stage, from single cell all the way to adulthood. Per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances include chemicals known as PFOs, PFOA, and Gen X. Since the 1940s, per- and fluoroalkyl substances have been used in making things water-repellent, stain-resistant, oil-repellent, and wear-resistant, both in industrial products like cleaning fluids, food packaging, and firefighting foams, and in consumer products like non-stick cookware, clothing, and cosmetics. They don't break down naturally, so they may last forever in the environment. They're toxic. And they're in you. They've been found in rainwater all over the earth, even as far as ice and soil in the Arctic Circle. In the human body, they mainly settle into the blood, kidney and liver. Per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances are higher around mining sites and defence training sites, which use a lot of firefighting foam. They also tend to collect at sewage treatment and sewage outlet sites. A study from 2007 by the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimated that per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances could be detected in the blood of 98% of the US population. A report published in 2019 by the Nordic Council places Europe's collective health-related costs as a result of per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances contamination at 50 billion euros per annum. The Stockholm University study concludes that levels of per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances in rainwater often greatly exceed U.S. Environmental Protection Agency lifetime drinking water health advisory levels and are often above Danish drinking water limit values and often above environmental quality standards for inland European Union surface water. The deposit of per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances from the air by rain leads to global soils everywhere being contaminated and are often above proposed Dutch guideline values. The per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances keep being recycled back into the ocean, then back into the atmosphere, only to rain down again all over the world. Researchers are currently looking for ways to break down per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, in the environment. A study earlier this year found a common microorganism was able to break down a particular class of perme polyfluoroalkyl substances. A study in June 2021 also showed how an iron exchange process can help eliminate polyfluoroalkyl substances in wastewater. Researchers are also exploring the use of activated charcoal as an option for removing PFAS from drinking water. In 2019... The European Commission unveiled a proposal to eliminate per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances to be effective by 2030. In 2022, the American Environmental Protection Agency is publishing four new drinking water lifetime health advisories for certain per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances as part of President Biden's plan to combat PFAS pollution and the Environmental Protection Agency per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances PFAS Roadmap: The Australian, federal and state governments are working together to form a national standard for the environmental risk management of industrial chemicals that will include a per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances National Environmental Management Plan. Eventually. South Australia banned them in 2018. New South Wales restricted the use and sale of firefighting foam containing per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances in 2021 so that they can only be used in catastrophic fires. There will be a per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances PFAS forum on the 17th of October 2022 in Sydney. What can you do to clean your own water? Boiling just concentrates the chemicals. It doesn't break them down. The best way to remove them from your water is a reverse osmosis system or a granulated activated carbon filter system. The paper was titled Outside the Safe Operating Space of a New Planetary Boundary for Per and Polyfluoroalkyl Substances, PFAS, and was published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology.
2: Listening to Ian Wolf on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com.
1: Some foods contain unique nutrients that can help your health or common nutrients in unusually large amounts. We often call these superfoods or functional foods. Jayashree Alcott is Associate Professor of Food Science and Nutrition at the School of Chemical Engineering at the University of New South Wales. I spoke with her by Zoom and began by asking, is there such a thing as a superfood?
3: Well, calling something a superfood is sometimes very misleading simply because the consumer tends to think that a lot of that food if they consumed, would really give them all of the claimed health benefits or properties. I think that's where the confusion lies. So really one should be focused more on trying to understand that singularly, if you consumed something that's referred to as superfoods does not necessarily mean that you can be a little relaxed Other foods, that's something that needs to be understood by the consumer. So from that perspective, it's often a term that I don't necessarily would advocate as much because a lot of these foods you would have noticed usually referred to fruits and vegetables, for instance. And we all know that consuming a lot of the fruits and vegetables does do us good and there's quite a bit of evidence there for eating as many as possible in your diet. So what needs to be made quite clear to the consumers is that it's, yes, it's, it's something that would provide you with good properties, but it's to do with the compounds that are present in that particular food and those compounds may just be a little more concentrated in that particular food compared to other foods. It does not mean that some of these compounds, which we call as scientists bioactive compounds, are not present elsewhere. They are present in most foods and they're usually present in very, very small quantities. So if you're referring something to uh, say, a superfood, all it really means is some of these compounds are in high concentration in in those foods. So I think that message is very, very important. So we're not eliminating other foods from a diet. It's to just say that this food does have that little bit extra concentration, which would do you good in the long run. So it's, it's a kind of accumulative effect with foods.
1: Yes, and it sounds very individual. So perhaps if you had a problem with inflammation, there's some foods that have some compounds that are better at being anti-inflammatory. And they might be good for you, but they might not do so much for someone else.
3: Well, it depends on the individuals, as you rightly pointed out. And the nutritional status that they are in and how do they absorb some of these compounds? How do they handle them in their system? All of these are very, very different between individuals. And that's why we need really large sample sizes in humans to study. And they, mind you, they're very complex to be studied in humans as well. So it's important that we have evidence when we call something a superfood and a good example would be kale. Five years ago, kale became really very important and people started buying kale. Farmers started growing more kale. It actually belongs to a class of plants called the Brassica oleracea, which includes all of those plants and vegetables like cauliflower and cabbage and so on. So kale is one that can be produced quite easily, even sustainably, but it's hard to say that the other brassica family vegetables are not doing as well as kale. So kale is not something we can pull out from that family and say that's the best in that family. So you just need a little bit more evidence with human studies to be able to say that the health properties are much better in Mm. kale, for example. Uh, We don't have that yet. And so we just need to be a bit careful. Nevertheless, eating all vegetables, all brassica vegetables, all vegetables and fruits is very, very important for overall health and well-being.
1: I've read that foods that have anthocyanins, the the red or the blue sort of colouring, are good for things like antioxidants, which can slow down ageing to some degree and inflammation and all sorts of other things. (laughs) Is that a reasonable thing to look out for?
3: So in general, colored vegetables and fruits are considered to be very good because the reason they have those colors are because of all of those bioactive substances in them. So for example, uh, if you picked red cabbage or blueberries, they have a compound or a group of compounds called anthocyanins, as you pointed out. And if you looked at orange and red vegetables, you've got compounds which are referred to as carotenoids. Some of them actually have vitamin A activity as well in the human system. So this is also why nutritionists do say that including colored vegetables and fruits in your diet is extremely good because of those properties that you just mentioned. They have the ability to scavenge radical oxygen from the system. So that's the antioxidant property, preventing oxidation, also the anti-inflammatory properties, which would actually counter the pro-inflammatory condition in the system and so on. So yes, they do impart some of these properties and it's good, as I said, to include them in your diet. And given it's a fact that they're all available or present in really, really small amounts, and we don't yet know how much of these compounds are actually absorbed by the human system. So it's one thing to quantify the amount in the food itself. And it's another to be able to say confidently that uh, there's there's a lot of it absorbed into the system, if you know what I mean. That That is
1: a funny thing, isn't it? Because it there was a time decades ago when people were taking huge amounts of vitamin and mineral supplements and all sorts of compounds. And then the research seemed to show that we weren't absorbing it, that it was just giving us coloured urine. And so a lot of people stopped and switched to just trying to go for foods with the most of those things. And now we, we seem to be going the other way and saying some of these compounds, you could never eat enough to get a medicinal amount. Maybe we just need medicines made with enough of that to give you the medicinal benefit
3: yeah well that's where the nutraceutical concept comes in where they try and extract some of these compounds from different foods and they concentrate them and then kind of package them as a as a supplement as a capsule and sell it as a nutraceutical but we are also seeing now some studies where it's showing that extraction outside of its of its matrix may not necessarily be the best. They act the best in their own natural matrix. So we do have some studies which say that, on the other hand, we also know that concentrated quantities of these compounds, very high quantities, are difficult to get through foods. And and I would say that unless you actually know that you need it, through biochemical testing and so on to be able to say that, yes, it's going to do you some good, improve your health overall. I don't believe one should really go into using these supplements as well, but rely on food. And it's a long-term effect from food. And unless there's an immediate need for you to be on supplements to correct any of the issues, I don't think consumers should really be relying on Supplements a lot if they're eating well and a balanced diet.
1: I guess this is where people who do have health concerns really need to talk to a nutritionalist to get their particular needs met in their food so that they don't need supplements. Or if they do, then they get a medical opinion.
3: That's correct. I agree with you. We all see our GPs first if we don't feel well and we get a blood test ordered and we do have a fairly good picture of what's going on and the GP is able to diagnose at some level. And if it's purely due to nutrients in in the blood and they are at a lower level, then we're going to be asked to see a dietitian to see what we can do with our diets first. And we, we should really be looking to food first before we can actually go for supplements. But having said that, it depends upon the level of deficiency that one would have. I'm not particularly talking about these bioactive compounds because they're not they're not really going to give us that immediate picture because their properties are quite overall health related. But I think as you said, seeing a nutritionist having some sort of a diet plan and understanding what you're currently eating and looking at whether there's any modification necessary to your diet. I think that's something that one can always do.
1: And I know a lot of older people have been recommended to have more protein in their diets. And so they're looking to things like whey powder or pea powder or something like that. Is there a problem trying to absorb more protein from plants as opposed to animal sources? Does that require a different way of looking at your diet
3: okay well (laughs) this is something that's uh, plant protein versus animal proteins is something that's uh, very topical isn't it at the moment given that everybody or most people are trying to look into moving away from meat red meat in particular we do know that proteins whether they're present in meat or whether they're present in plants They are all made up of amino acids and the sequence of amino acids and the amounts of some of these amino acids are very, very important for physiological function. And red meat is considered to have the best sequence of amino acids and the amounts that are required. We also have something called essential amino acids. And these essential amino acids are present in the amounts that are required in Animal-based proteins. Having said that, we we know that if if you're able to have a judicial mixture, I would say, of plant-based foods in your diet, you can still achieve the same amino acid sequence. For example, having a mixture of a cereal and a legume in your diet and some oil seeds in your diet and so on would actually allow for the right amounts of amino acids to be present in your diet. So absorption naturally is slightly lower from plant proteins, but that does not necessarily mean that you should be worried too much if you're actually eating the right combination of foods there.
1: And then there's things like omega-3 fatty acids that most of us, are recommended to get from fish, but not everyone is able to eat seafood. And that's, there's not as many vegetable sources, but they do exist.
3: They do exist in the form of oil seeds. And one that comes to my mind is linseed. And it's possible to get some amount of omega-3s from plant sources as well. But yes, it's it's probably not found in the same amounts as we would find in seafood, particularly in fish. But having said that, yes, we can have a fairly good source of omega-3s from plant seeds, oil seeds as well.
1: So people also look at these as functional foods and, and foods that we shouldn't miss out on. Are there foods that the research suggests that everyone should have in their diet rather than just a, a big variety of different types of plants and in our food, is there ones that everyone should make sure they don't miss out on?
3: What I would say is having a diverse diet is very important. And by that, I mean that you do have your uh, cereal, your legume, your vegetable. Try and have as many fruits as possible. And if, if you're a meat eater, have red meat in your diet, but be very conscious about the amounts that you would eat. And also fish in your diet. All of these are really uh, good. And the CSIRO diet is something that one can look at to uh, to make sure trying to have an overall well-being. It's called a well-being diet anyway. So diversity is key. Variety is key as well. Sometimes diversity and variety don't mean the same, actually, when you think about it. Because Diversity would mean within a particular food group, how diverse is your choice of foods. So if you took, for instance, the vegetable group, are you just focusing on a single vegetable or are you diversifying by having different vegetables on your plate, even if they are smaller quantities of each of them? That's important. And the variety and the different food groups are very important as well in your diet so I'm talking the whole day's diet Mm. so try and include as diverse foods as possible in your diet
1: I think so too I mean I look for fruits that I've never tried before when I I go out to see if there's something new and that's um, right it's it's amazing because there's so many domesticated plants in the world and sometimes we're only exposed to a handful of them and the more you can try the more interesting and the more nutrients
3: that's right and it's interesting to explore different vegetables and fruits as well in your diet to just get that uh, tea in yes. your diet.
1: And I've had people express to me that they're concerned about their weight or their blood sugar and they don't want to eat fruit. Does fruit actually affect yeah. that?
3: Yes, it does. I mean, so, so far what we spoke about was all for a healthy person. So if somebody is diagnosed with diabetes, then... It's all about how much carbohydrates you take as well. So that's where the issue could be with the choice of the fruits that you would particularly have in your diet. So that's basically related to the amount of sugars that are present in your fruit. And you just need a balance. You need to know how to adjust your diet if you did have diabetes. Yes. And the severity of it would also dictate what you can eat when it comes to fruits, yeah.
1: And for people concerned that they they need to lose some fat, some weight, do they need to reduce their fruit as well? Is it a different issue?
3: Not really. I would just advocate for the fact that we should be including fruit in our diet more than having a lot of fruit juice, for instance. So fruits themselves have much more to offer just other than just sugars. So it's important to have a fruit in your diet and losing weight. That's another thing. You you just need to be conscious about the amount of fruit that you eat is and the choice as well. And so I would just say moderation is the key there and you adjust your diet based on the type of fruit that you would consume. So the choice becomes important everyone should include a number of colored vegetables in your diet as much as possible, as diverse as possible with your fruits and vegetables. And this is important to do so as often as you can in your daily diet, because there is evidence not just to say that fruits and vegetables alone would give you all the benefits, but also to say that there are these important bioactive substances, which give you a bit more of those health properties in your diet if you include them every day. So that would be my message to everybody, to include as many fruits and vegetables as possible in their diet.
1: Well, Associate Professor Arkett, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: That was Associate Professor Jayashree Alkett from the University of New South Wales talking about nutrition and functional foods.
2: And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash C slash Diffusion Radio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including... Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in North East Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on Diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ian wolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash radio i'm ian wolf join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on diffusion science radio
0: science is fun it helps you to learn to know and to appreciate